What was that other comment? The Bible. Brilliant. <laughs> I did have a thought this morning. I shouldn't talk about the Bible at all. But no, I'm sorry. Brilliant. Thank you. That's exactly what we're going to do. And uh, pretty amazing. A three and a half thousand, uh, you know, document or code of conduct or mor- whatever you want to call them. Ten Commandments, morals, principles, codes of moral conduct. Uh, they're, incredibly in the, they're incredibly relevant. Uh, you know, when you think about it, humanity hasn't changed too much, has it? In uh, three and a half thousand years, what God was trying to pass to the, the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, I think in a way he still says that's the still. They're pretty relevant for today, aren't they? They're still happening today. In actual fact, this week I was, uh, I, I, uh, in my garden, I've got this uh, tree called a foxtail palm. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They, I call them the, the prince of all palms because I think, just think they're the nicest. Because the palm fronds just c- c- kind of curl out like a foxtail. And I've got one. I've actually got more than one, but a really big one. And th- three weeks ago, I noticed it had a chandelier of seeds. Y- you know. And so I was looking forward to that because um, when it drops, uh, I was thinking about taking those seeds because um, some of them in the past, there's all little foxtails around the base. And um, I-, I wanted to take those seeds. I thought I'd just put them in little um, you know, uh, um, pots and we could just cultivate them and give them away you could sell them and make money but I've never done that I've just given them away usually and so I was looking forward to when they would drop and this week I went out to the garden and they're gone I know I know I felt the same way Uh, and I thought oh well they just dropped into the garden so I went searching in my garden couldn't find them I went searching in my cul-de-sac I found two seeds in the cul-de-sac I said you know what someone's stolen my foxtail chandelier of seeds because they knew how, how, how uh, you know, you can cultivate them and make a fair bit of money. I said, someone's done. I reckon it's one of my neighbors. Because, yeah, so, so uh, you know, I, 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 you know, checked around the cul-de-sac, found a couple in the garden. I thought, definitely. And then I went, and then I went up to the tree itself. And as I looked up, I could see it had been sawn off. I thought, I'm on to this. And they've broken the, seventh, uh, the Eighth Commandment, Thou shall not steal, and the Tenth Commandment, Don't covet what your neighbor's got. <laughs> so I'm, I'm on to this, and I'm looking, I'm going to find out, because if I see any pots in, you know, maybe not my immediate, you know, um, neighbors, but up and down the street, there'll be someone who's got these foxtail palm seeds in pots. I reckon that'll happen. And then I, I noticed my wife and my daughter at the top step looking at me and smiling. I thought, what are they on about? And I walk up to them, and my daughter says, uh, Dad, uh, and I said to them, you know what? Our neighbors have stolen those seeds. <laughs> and I didn't even hear them, done at night. And my daughter said to me, she said, Dad, Ergon were in this week with a truck and they were cutting down branches that were hanging over um, our power supply lines to our houses. And uh, if you didn't notice, but your chandelier of seeds was sitting on our power supply line to our house and they took it. I said, no. <laughs> and then I'd known I'd broken the ninth commandment, which says you shall not accuse your neighbors falsely. So anyway, we are talking about the Ten Commandments, and we're not going to talk about eight, nine, or ten. We're going to talk about number five. Do you know what number five commandment says? If you didn't know, here it is, Exodus chapter 20, 12. We're moving on. Um, but that's my confession for the week, okay? Honor, what does it say? Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you, Okay? Honor your father. Notice it's with a promise that you may live long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Okay, interesting, interesting, uh, wonderful uh, commandment today. 
And uh, my subtitle today is, Why Should I Honour My Parents When They're Not Perfect? Is that okay? <laughs> that's the title, my subtitle. Now, when I say honour your father and mother, I appreciate today that that can become a bit problematic for some of us more than other people because the truth is, being a little bit more serious now, the reality is, is that, uh, that your family hasn't gone well for you. There's been some struggles and maybe for some of us that's an understatement it's been not just struggles it's been a little bit more like hell on earth sometimes in regards to family i i I truly respect that and appreciate that because families can be a great source of strength and support or families the truth is can be um can be a source of hurt and all types of emotional memories engaged and connected to that and it can be very painful so maybe um some would say you know today well You know, God, that's okay for you to say, honor your mother and your father, but you don't know my parents. (laughs) And and the truth is, you may have to, it's hard to reconcile uh, the things that will happen to you uh, through your parents. Or, or, you know, um, what am I supposed to do, you know, when you say, honor God? Am I supposed to just act like nothing happened? Well, I want to talk about that today. So what God is asking me to do what is God really asking me to do when he says, honor my mother and my father? What is he really? It's a great question. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does that really mean? Maybe you've never thought about it because so often we read the Ten Commandments and it, we, we see one-liners and we think, oh, that's nice, but we never, never dig beneath the surface. Can we do a bit of digging this morning? Uh, because there is more than meets the eye. Uh, let's answer the question, uh, that question, God, what has this got to do with me about honoring my parents? What is it to say? Um, and if I was to go anywhere, let's go to the Bible, it's a good place, uh, because the Bible doesn't try to hide the fact that families didn't get it all right. Would you agree? I'm so glad the Bible is written uh, so that we can interpret and understand it, and it shows us all the messy stuff as well as all the good stuff. And if there was one messy family in the Bible, it didn't start out that way, but it certainly ended that way, uh, was King David. Interesting storyline, interesting family, wasn't it? Um, and uh, it, he was one of the most dysfunctional families. And yet, uh, King David, you remember the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, became a king. Uh, king David started incredibly well. He had a model family. Uh, he had many sons and daughters. Um, uh, so the Bible basically says David was a man after God's own heart. And, and as we look through 2 Samuel, there's a book in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel literally gives, a, uh, it gives us a rundown of his whole family story. And so we'll just quickly give you a snapshot of that uh, this morning. Uh, so David uh, w- was a man after God's own heart. 2 Samuel is dedicated and it shows us the exploits of David. But chapter 1, there was a king who died. His name was Saul. He was the king before David was the king. Uh, Saul was also the uh, father-in-law to David. David had married King Saul's uh, daughter. Um, If there's one thing we know about Saul, he spent a good part of a decade trying to kill his son-in-law. That's a great family to start with, isn't it? Um, uh, And so uh, the reason being is Saul was intensely jealous of his son-in-law, thinking David was trying to take his throne. He was he, he, he was a bit, he'd gone a little bit loopy, and, he, and David had no intentions of trying to force anything in that area. But anyway, Saul wanted him dead. And yet, when Saul dies, rather than celebrate Saul's death, David writes a song of lament uh, to honor his fallen father-in-law, Saul. Now, would you agree, to, uh, when you honor your enemies, 
you got a good heart. And so David was a good man. Can we agree on that at least for a little while? <laughs> he was a good man. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. You may say, what was that? It was a large box about this size. It was overlaid with gold. It had two angels of cherubs on top or angels on top. It had the Ten Commandments inside. And, and that David brought that ark. It represented the presence of God. It represented the worship that we needed to give God. And David wanted that foremost in the very center of Jerusalem. He wanted it to be the very worship of God and the very presence of God to be foremost in the minds of the Jewish people. So he was the, that was the kind of king he was. And you'd have to agree that as a, as a good man, he wants to do that. He wants a whole nation to worship God and not turn from God. So that was good. That was chapter 6. Now, chapter 7, God says to David, you're such a good man. You know what? You'll always have a descendant on your throne. Someone from your descendants will always be on the throne. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, God said a king will rule and reign forever on your throne, referring to Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was a direct descendant of David, okay? So that's pretty amazing family line, pretty amazing. David's a good man. You, wouldn't, you would have liked David as a father. Uh, the sons uh, and the daughters would have been proud of their dad. He was a model dad. He, they would have been proud of him. He was the one that everybody loved. And they thought, wow, what a great legacy and inheritance we've got here of a great, of a man who's loved. <sighs> And then in chapter 11, start, things start to go a little bad. David is walking on his roof one day, and he, as he looks over, he sees a lady bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. And he says, you know what? She's a bit of all right. And so he invites her for a cup of tea, and uh, ultimately, she gets pregnant. It was a strong cup of tea. I don't know how else to put it, but let's just leave it at that, hey? <laughs> okay, I'm glad you're enjoying that. David is a good, so let's just, let's just, let's just once iterate a good thing now. David is a good man, but he's made a mistake because this is his neighbor's wife. And so David realizes that he's done the wrong thing. And instead of owning up, he tries to hide the fact that he slept with his neighbor's wife. And ultimately, has Bathsheba's husband murdered via the battle? Okay? We won't go into all the details, but that's what happened. So now David is not just an adulterer, but now he's a murderer. He's broken two of the commandments that was been set up, uh, that were actually in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and this is where it starts to get a little crazy. And the truth is that David... Uh, um, if he tries to hide that, Nathan the prophet uh, uh, knows what he's done wrong and comes and nails David and says, you've done the wrong thing. To David's credit, he repents and he uh, regrets what he's done and he turns, uh, turns his heart back to God. But it creates some ongoing consequences for his family. So in chapter 12, uh, sorry, chapter 13, David's sin spills into his family and now it gets really crazy because his son, Amnon, Amnon was one of David's sons, um, Amnon uh, lusts after his half-sister, Tamar. Okay, now the reason it's a half-sister is because David had six wives. Uh, that made, that got things a little complicated when you have six wives. I have one, and no, I won't say that. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was not, I didn't, it just didn't come out right then. Um, so, so, so Amnon 
Last up is Sister Tamar, who is sister. There's another third uh, person involved in this story, Absalom. He's another son of David. He's the sister. He's the uh, brother of Tamar, of course. Uh, so Tamar refuses her half brother as it advances, and Amon rapes her, and then as much as he lusted after her, he hates her. And David never disciplined Amon for doing such a horrid and a, a horrific thing. David does nothing. Because it's possibly hard to discipline your son uh, when already you've been involved in sexual immorality. I'm just saying. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, so David now, uh, so we see that Absalom comes into the picture. He's very angry with his father for not doing anything about the rape of his sister, Tamar. And becomes even more angry about his brother Amon. And for two years, Absalom dwells on this anger that becomes bitterness and hatred to the point he now murders his brother Amon. So now David has one dead son and David still doesn't have a, a family meeting to sort it out. He doesn't address Absalom. He does nothing. He does nothing. So in chapter 15, Absalom is so ticked off about his dad uh, not talking to him, not addressing uh, the rape of his sister, that Absalom starts to burn things down and chuck a tantrum and, get, and try to get his attention of his father David. And David still doesn't address Absalom. He, he, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. So Absalom goes after David's throne now because he's so angry. And he stages a military coup, tries to get David, uh, get David off the throne, which does work for some time to a certain extent. And we see in chapter 17 that David flees to Jerusalem with some of his entourage. Absalom tries to come in. A battle erupts between the house of David and the house of Absalom. And David fleds, as I say. In chapter 18, it goes all wrong for Absalom. And he's found hanging from a tree by his hair with three javelins thrust through his heart. Now Absalom is dead. Now David has two dead sons. So David, he was a good man, but he's done some bad things. But notice at the end of 2 Samuel, it isn't David who bore the brunt. It was his sons who suffered. So here's the lesson for all of us. We don't, if we don't learn how to handle the imperfection of our parents, it will be us that pays the price, not them. We say this morning, that's nice, that's great. Um... I grew up in a home that was really good, uh, so it's a great story. Thank you for the story. Let's finish now. But just a moment. Most of us possibly don't have the same dysfunction of David's family. I grant you that. I hope not. <laughs> I appreciate that some of you could say, well, yeah, I did, uh, um, I, and I respect that. But if we can't learn to honor even in the presence of imperfection, how are we going to handle the faults and flaws of all the other people who are not in our family that we have to deal with. Because it turns out that tomorrow you've got to go to work and you're going to face imperfect people at work. Who knows what I'm talking about? Uh, the truth is it turns out you're listening to an imperfect person this morning. Is that cool? Uh, the truth is it turns out that you're going to marry an imperfect person one day. And if you have, that is if you haven't already... And then you're going to have a couple of children, and then not too many months down the track, you'll discover that these children are also capable of doing imperfect things. So what are we going to do with human imperfection? 
what are we, how are we going to deal with it? Because God knows every day of your life, you're going to bump up against imperfection. So this is what I believe a loving father does 3,500 years ago that is still iterated and relates today. He says, I know you're going to have to process the good and the bad uh, uh, in the lives of other people around you. But here's my fifth commandment. Honor your mother and your father. And what I want you to first learn these skills with your family. And if you can do that with your family, it's going to teach you a skill that you can apply in every area of your life. Are you with me this morning? You got it so far. If you don't, can, can I be brutally honest? But you know what? I've, found, I've, I've discovered how to do these things with a smile. Uh, if you don't learn the principle, you'll spend the rest of your life, possibly, I'm, I'm over-exaggerating, but quitting jobs, breaking relationships, leaving churches, um, walking out on people because people don't meet your expectations and all because they've never learned, maybe all because we've never learned to deal with imperfect people. Um, please understand, I'm not justifying imperfection. I'm not justifying sin. I'm not justifying bad things that have happened to you because of other... God forbid, I'm not justifying at all. Not justifying David's sin either, what he did. I'm not justifying. I'm not trying to justify my own sin or any parent here today. But what I'm trying to say is I'm not, I want you to help you deal with all the bad things that happen to you because of other people. So life goes well for you, the scripture says, and not really miserable. So, interesting, isn't it? We still haven't got to the word honor, but we will now. Honor, what does it really mean? How do you honor your mom and dad? How do we really do that? Do you know that the word honor just doesn't mean to say nice things about your mum and dad? It, that's a part of it, but it's not, it's a very small part of it. The Hebrew word for honor means this, kabod. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, kabod. I know you don't have to remember that, but the interesting thought about it is what it really means. And what it really means is this, and you have to stick with me here because there's just a little bit of thought into this. The word means to be heavy and to be weighty. And so to honor your mother and father means to let everything that has happened to you, both good and bad, to be as weighty as it really is. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, let the good things be as weighty as they really were, and on the other side, the bad things be as weighty as they really were. God is saying, reflect on the negative and difficult things that happened to you. Don't pretend they didn't happen to you. They happened to you. But also give some thought to the good things that happened to you as well. Don't neglect to consider all the good things that maybe your family or other people have done. Because thinking about the good and the bad and seeing it for what it is, that's called giving something weight. Okay? Kabod. Does that really matter? Yeah, it does. Because here's what we can do at times. When someone offends you, it, it, it hurts you. Okay, and then we tend to forget about every other good characteristic, characteristic in their life, and are ever focusing on the bad things that have been done. And have you ever met a person who talks about their parents as if they were the devil incarnate, uh, <laughs> and that they were so bad? And what is happening? I once again respect that, but they n have neglected to give any thought or weight to the good things they did as well. We just weigh it. We we get lopsided. We get weighed on one side. So God says, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to identify the good and the bad. So we're, if we're ever going to learn to give weight, ever going to learn to give weight 
uh, to the good and the bad. We have just two simple things that you already know about. I'm going to just refresh your memory today. But if, we, if we're going to learn the, atti- we, the first thing about giving weight to the good and the bad is we're going to learn an attitude of gratitude. Because, which, is, which is not easy when you're offended or hurt because the natural instinct is we can be blinded with anger or hurt and we can never give any thought to just maybe there's some good things that are there in what in my my parents or those people who have hurt me there's some good characteristics and gratitude and thankfulness is a healthy principle to apply in our lives because it, it then it keeps our soul healthy and when we allow the bad to consume us it can make us a little nasty and a little eats away at our joy and our peace as andrew was talking this morning in our lives and so gratitude is, a, and you know, there's a whole message on just that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skipping over it for the sake where I want to take you this morning. But just thankfulness and gratitude sometimes. God is not asking you to pretend like something, everything is perfect. He wants to, you to give way to the good, but also face the reality of the bad. And that's where the second skill comes in. The second skill is this. If we're going to give, learn to give way to the bad, we have to learn to forgive. You've heard it, you've lived it, you're still living it, we all have to face it, it's a reality. We don't, and we don't need to sugarcoat the verbal or physical abuse or the abandonment that happened in your life. We don't need to just gloss over and say, okay, it happened, but let's move on. No, no. Let it be as heavy as it really was, but on feeling the weight of it, now release the weight of it by forgiving that person for what they did. Because you can't walk around with baggage on your shoulders without it affecting the way that you live. Easy for me to say, isn't it? Sometimes it's more difficult to apply. Do you know that means we're going to forgive extending the grace to those people just as Christ extended his grace to us for all our shortcomings and our failings. And sometimes it's just good to give a little thought about how much you know, what I've done to others, when we get totally honest with ourselves and realize the grace is extended to us and the forgiveness. And we can learn gratitude for the good and we can learn forgiveness for the bad. And then we can take the skills and apply them in every other area of your life, just not to your parents, but to every other person. And that's uh, interesting, isn't it? Hard to apply. But it's possible. And the reason it's possible, let me finish today with just three things that can help us in this whole area. And the number one, is this, honoring our parents is not pretending that the past didn't happen, okay? So God's not asking you to pretend that the painful things didn't happen, but also He's not letting you brush over the good things that did happen. So to help with gratitude and forgiveness, why not take, I don't know, I just thought, why not take a blank piece of paper and start to dig around in the treasures of your memory and start to write down the things that you're actually thankful for, that your parents did do. And you know, I understand for some of us here, that maybe the only thing you can write is this, I was born, they gave me life. I appreciate that. Maybe that's the only thing. But you know, as you dig a little further, maybe you can think about, well, they did change my nappies. I, wasn't, I didn't remember that bit, but you know, I've changed enough nappies now as a grandfather and a father that I know that, you know, that's pretty significant. Oh. <laughs> so... And it's amazing if you just start to appreciate them, how you can start to maybe throw off the attitude that in the past has ridden them off and said they're not worth it. 
It's amazing how we can start to build something. I want to say that sometimes because your mouth is powerful and your mind and heart are powerful, and what you speak sometimes, it, it, it talks in the scriptures about speaking to a mountain and seeing it removed. It talks in scriptures about this power, life and death and the power of the tongue. And you know what? Sometimes you don't feel like saying, I'm thankful. But it's amazing how powerful it starts to become. It's the same as prayer. You know, you've you got something that you need to see changed or healed or made whole. It, you know, sometimes it starts with you get, getting a little bit of faith in your heart that God can break through in this area. And you're just saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, not my ability. I just look to you. I look past the problem. I look to you, Jesus. And I know that you can, you can change this situation. And I'm, I'm speaking into it. Mountain, you've got to move. Whatever that mountain may be for you. And so gratitude has that power. Uh, 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 that, that's part of that. Gratitude is, is as much a faith statement as anything else sometimes. And then maybe in honoring our parents, but not pretending the past didn't happen, you've just got to remember that maybe your parents had some bad things happen to them. And the reason that you've been hurt and they've hurt you is because they're still hurting over what happened to them. You know, this week I was digging around in my past. I, not this week, literally the last couple of days. I just started to think about my mum and dad. And as I thought about my dad, I thought, gee, you know, my dad was really, he really blessed me and was generous to me at different times in my life. Key moments in my life that really mattered to me. And I thought, where did that come from? Because I remember my dad um, telling me a story that he only ever, he didn't tell me a lot about his dad, but he did tell me one story a couple times. And he said, you know, when I was young, at the, at the age of 16, I had a dream. He lived in the, in the farming district of Gympie, and he wanted a dream was to have his own little farm, to grow his own pineapples, and to, and to be able, that was his dream. Because he just loved farming. And so that came, that came to pass at the age of 16. He took a little bank loan. He bought a plot of land. He planted the uh, pineapples. He tended them. He looked after them. He'd done everything. He took with his dad. He then took the fruit after he harvested them. He took them to market. And his dad took all the profit and walked away. And, and my, my dad said, hey, dad, that's not right. And his dad said, forget it, mate. This is mine. And he, and he was hurt by that. And he tells me this story. He's told me a couple of times before he passed away. But I want to tell you something, the good thing about that. As I dug into my past, I realized my dad never did that to me. When I, when I was younger and I wanted to buy a house, and I only had $6,000 for the deposit, and I needed another three, guess who gave it to me? My dad. I thought, and, 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 I've, and I knew that, but I kind of just realized the significance of that in the light of the fact that his dad, my grandfather, never treated him that way, and yet he turned it around. And the reason I think he turned around is because I think he forgave his dad and said, it's not worth it. And so my mean, my, I wanted to tell you, I paid back that three grand, interest-free, but I paid it back within a couple of years because I was just so thankful for my dad for helping me buy a little old house. And then when I was 18, uh, before I bought a house, he gave me my first car, family car, old it was, but it was a car. He gave it to me, Holden Kingsford, 1969 model, whoa. Bench seat, yeah, I know. Yeah. It was called a, it was called a MOD car. It, move over, darling. <laughs> because <laughs> because if she didn't have the seatbelt on, it went around the corner fast enough. <laughs> oh, anyway. He gave me my first car. 
several years later, several years later, I sold that car and I made a profit and I, and I, and I, I made some money. I gave it back to him. Why did I give it back to him? Because I just thought, you know what? My dad blessed me with it. I give him the money back. And so I'd say all that. Why did I say all that? But anyway, let's just, let's just realize <laughs> that's because sometimes our parents, if, if your parents bless you, realize that maybe it's a direct result of something that happened to them and they don't want to see the same discord and same dysfunction happen in their family. And my dad made a decision. And I wonder if you could make that decision as well. <laughs> There's uh, another thing that's amazing about our parents is this. I've really come to appreciate my parents since I had children. Because before that, I never really considered that they were good at parenting. Not that I thought they were bad, but I just didn't think, they were, I didn't think about it. But it's amazing when you have your own kids, how much your parents really do grow up. And no, you, you know what I'm saying. So here we go. Honoring our parents, um, God is not asking us to pretend that didn't happen. Here's the second thing. Honoring our parents is not doing something, sorry, doing whatever they say. Let me just explain this. When we're children and dependent on our parents, honoring our parents basically looks like obedience as children. N not that we need to allow just, you know, if our parents ask us to do something that's really bad or harmful. <laughs> we can't follow through with that. But generally speaking, when we're children, honoring our parents looks like obedience. But I'm not talking to children's church this morning, am I? I'm talking to adults, young adults, adults today. So what does honoring our parents look like today for you and for me today? Okay? Um, because the truth is, when we grow up and get married, have our own kids, a family of our own, the fifth commandment is not negated, it's just reframed. I'll explain it. So for adults to honor your parents now as an adult means to support them practically because in 1 timothy chapter 5 3 and 4 look at this let's just put this verse up i love what paul says to timothy he says this um give proper recognition uh, to those widows who are really in need but if a widow has a ch has children or grandchildren these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to god there we go that's interesting, isn't it? In other words, they cared for you. Now it's your turn to care for them. And as adults, it's not so much to obey them as much as to look after them and help them. And of course, if there's struggles with them, it's difficult, can be difficult to do that. But, he, but there clearly, I believe, there's an opportunity to help and care. Jesus exampled this in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. He was 12 years of age. It said, Jesus says in scripture, Jesus obeyed his mum and dad. After he'd been in the temple for three days in Jerusalem. And they were concerned and upset with him and looking for him. And they said, where have you been? He says, oh, I've just been about my father's business. And, and they said, well, get home with us. And he says, yes, mum and dad. He was obedient to them, wasn't he? But if we go to John chapter 2, there was a time when Jesus had grown up. He's in the ministry. He's about to do his very first miracle of water into wine. Um, there's a wedding happening. Uh, Mary's there. His mother's there. Someone comes to Mary and said, we're running out of wine. And, and you know, she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they're running out of wine. He says, woman, what's that to do with me? Because the whole the theology behind that is Jesus knew if he 
did this miracle, it was going to then reveal, he would be out of the shadows and into the open that he was a son of God and, and God himself and he could do miracles. And so he was weighing that up, obviously, at that moment. He says, what's that to do with me? And Mary walked away and said to the servants, just do whatever he says. So it wasn't like Joseph was being, he wasn't actually being uh, uh, terrible to his mother. He was just stating the fact that now he's a grown-up man and he's got his own life to live. And we get to that point, don't we? But then we see on the cross, Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross. He's about, he knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to be buried and then rise again. And then 40 days after, go to his heavenly father. He knows he's not going to be there for his mother. Mary is now more than likely a widow. Okay, Joseph is off the scene. She's at the bottom of the cross standing there weeping. John, the, the disciple of Jesus, is beside her. And Jesus from the cross makes sure that his mother is going to be cared for. And he says, John, basically, take this woman home, look after her. I can't do it. I want to say Jesus was a classic example of, a, of fulfilling the, the fifth commandment perfectly. He had obeyed his parents as a child and he honored and provided for his parents, well, at least his mother uh, in, their senior, in their senior years. So in honoring our parents, God's not pretending that the past didn't happen. Honoring our parents is not doing whatever they say. And lastly, honoring your parents is not an impossible idea. In a moment, we're going to have communion together. Is that cool? But let me say this uh, before we just do that and we close and the team come. Honoring your parents is not an impossible idea. Why is that? Because honoring your parents is not about them. It's about you. Because the scripture says it may go well with you in the land. You might think, oh, well, I'm just going to be nice to my parents and I'll get some joy out of that. No, it's about you even more than them. Because it, it's about you having peace and joy in your rest of your life and not living continually bitter and angry with a group of people that you should love. God wants you to learn to honor them so it may go well with you. But you may say to me again, you don't know my parents. And you're right, I don't know your parents. And I'm not trying to understand because I don't know everybody's situation. But it will become more painful for you if you don't do something about our attitudes. Not just our parents, but every other imperfect person that we work with as well, or we have to live for. Because who knows, we have fractured family relationships all over this world. And if you were to stem it back, you'll find that one of the most foundational problems in the world today is broken what? families broken family can you still listen and, and just receive is that okay we can't possibly stand up against the pain and the hurt of what's been done to some of us we can't in our own strength do that that's why we need to come to the one who, who was abandoned by his closest friends his disciples that's why we need to come to the one who was who has forgiven those who caused him incredible physical pain by nailing him to a cross. That's why we need to come to the one who loved those who betrayed him at the start of the week. They, they sang his praises uh, and they said, you know, as he marched in, came into Jerusalem on a donkey, and at the end of the week, some of the same people who sang his praises actually said, crucify him at the end of the week. He still loved them and forgave them, those type of people. Jesus was misunderstood. He was abused at the hands of those who didn't know better. 
and he forgave them and he loved them. (laughs) And it's amazing. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, you know, God spoke to me once. Now, I don't know whether that was audibly or that was uh, just in his heart. But Paul basically said, God spoke to me. And he actually spoke to me about the things I struggle with and this whole, the struggles. And he said this in 2 Corinthians, and we'll put it up, chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, Jesus said, and it's read in my Bible, it'll be in your Bible, but my strength is made perfect. Sorry, my grace is sufficient for who? Us. You, us, they're you, that's right. For my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. And then Paul said as a response to that, Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I tell you, you cannot forgive in your own strength sometimes. That's why we need to say, Holy Spirit, come and flood my soul. I need your presence. Why do we worship? Because often in worship, the exchange is done. The heartache for the, for the joy. The concerns and worries for the peace. Just putting him, placing him and allowing him to invade our lives and say, I need you. Humbly bowing before him and say, God, I face temptations. You know what? There's sometimes, there's times when I've come to God and I've said, right now, I feel weak. I feel weak, God. And I need your help because I face a temptation. I face an attitude or I face an issue that I can't handle on my own. But Lord, as I humble my heart before you, Jesus, I know that you never disappoint me. And it's amazing how he floods through into my heart, just through the Holy Spirit's presence, and strengthens me, gives me resolve to stand up against that which wants to take me out. And there's a lot of things that want to take you out. And one of the things that wants to take you out is unforgiveness, ungratefulness. But you know, today, as we come, it's somewhere Oh, thanks, Andrew. But you haven't got one. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's not, but it's okay. Get one for this man. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Oh, he's coming. Well done. Can we stand today? Can you appreciate uh, this cup? And this little piece of uh, wafer on the top of it represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for his broken body and it wasn't for his spilt blood, which they symbolize and represent, they're not the literal blood of Christ, they're not the literal body of Christ. It's just a representation. But Jesus says, eat and drink in remembrance of what I've done for you. Why did he do that? Because he knew that we would face incredible struggles sometimes, times when we cannot possibly deal with the things that want to overwhelm us. They want to come against us. But when we acknowledge the body and the blood of Jesus, meaning that he shed his blood, and ultimately meaning that that means we can be forgiven when we repent and come to him. We can be forgiven for our sin. It means he renews, he refreshes, he encourages, he establishes us. That doesn't mean that you need to work through your problems still and through those issues. And it doesn't mean that it all happens just with one little cup of communion that we're all, oh, they've got this ability to forgive and this ability to move on. No, but you know what? It's acknowledging where his strength start, where our strength lays. That's what I'm saying. And it might take today, but it might take tomorrow as well and the next week. But it might take a process of understanding. But ultimately, can I just say, would you start the process? Would you start to think about the reality? And as you do, it's amazing how God can strengthen you to continue to to walk on that path. Because it's far better to say, at least I'm going to try 
to forgive. At least I've got to try to be grateful. It's far better than saying, nah, never going to do that. Because if your mouth is life and death, so what you speak, and today I encourage you, speak life. And say, God, I've never been able to accomplish this forgiveness before, but maybe today I'll start a journey that I'm going to get there. For some of us, you've dealt with it, you've moved on. That's wonderful. But let's always remember, there's imperfect people just hiding around the next corner to test your resilience. (laughs) So Jesus Christ came with his disciples and he and he took this bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is in, which is broken for you he's talking to the disciples and they probably didn't quite understand that but that's okay they did later on he said eat and eat this in remembrance of me so and then he took the cup after they'd eaten after supper and he said and he passed around and said this is my blood this is my and this is in this blood is the new promise of what i've got for you did you notice the promise of when we obey our parents and when we forgive people? Do you notice the promise that it'll go well with you? Mm. Jesus says there's a promise in this that you'll be forgiven and that you can live an incredibly great life because you, don't have to, you can live free of the pain of the past. Many other little things that, that was being said right then. So today, I'm going to ask you, can we just eat of this bread? Just take a moment, be reflective. If, if there's a moment right here where you just, you just say, God, help me to forgive. Don't stop it from taking communion, but just start the process. Help me, because it, it, it has been downright hard to deal with what's happened to me. I'm going to pray for you in a moment, but let's start with Jesus who faced it all. Let's eat and drink. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you this morning. Come on. We thank you for what you did. Because of what you did. We just thank you. We just thank you. I can be thankful for others. We just thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we have life today. Come on.